The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. Welcome to the sanctuary. Won't you stand to your feet this morning? Come on. We make much of the great God who inhabits the praises of his people. He's with us now. Let's, let's sing and make much of it. Come on. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at his feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior is Love overcomes, he has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave, you free, recapture, and break every chain. Oh, God, you have done great things. We dance your freedom.
This morning, won't you join me uh, in reading this scripture together? Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Hope's the word today. I want you all to leave filled with hope 
uh, this morning after we're done singing the message and that we would hold on to hope. Let's sing that. That's, let's read that scripture one more time and let's personalize it. Let's use like I, you know, that may I, you know, bound in hope. And I think we, we have it up here. May the God of hope fill me with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I may abound in hope. God, Lord, I just pray, Lord, today, Lord, that those that came in here discouraged, Father God, that they would leave knowing that you are with them, that you are for them, Lord, that you're going to complete the work that you started in them, Lord. I pray, Father God, that we would uh, be renewed today, that we would be refreshed today, God, and that we would uh, leave here, Lord, with, uh, with hope, God. We thank you, God, in the name of Jesus, we pray. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, amen, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the rain. You are my anchor, Lord.
shall come with trumpets sound. Oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, a faultless stand before the throne. God, you're my hope, Lord. Christ alone, sing it. Joy 
sing that one more time. this earth and you died a death an unfathomable death just to save us so that death has no claim on us because your name is victory thank you Jesus thank you for this time we love you and it's in Jesus name we pray amen amen man thanks for the great day to start the, the day off this morning High five kiddos, first grade through fifth grade. You're going to head that way. Moms and dads, you can pick them up. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 today. If you want to turn there, we'll have it on the screen if you don't. A couple of things I want to kind of bring your attention to. First thing is uh, more than words, and we are in the middle of that season right now. This is an offering above and beyond what you would normally give. Um, so this isn't your regular tithes and offerings. This is more than your regular tithes and offerings. And uh, it goes to support very specific ministries. We're going to be partnering with uh, Pastor James Moore in Uganda, uh, Common Threads, which is a ministry here. Uh, I wanted to point that out, top right corner, um, and then the bottom right corner. So this last year, we helped these six kids who were homeless, graduated from LCISD. We helped them get into their dorm rooms at college. So just think about that. You went from being homeless your senior year to graduating to go into college, and we were able to help them get six kids get into their dorm rooms, which is awesome. Uh, Wesley Nielsen is up with People and Songs. We're going to help support him. The Zodis are going to be headed to Japan sometime later this year. We're going to help them, Pastor James. Um, so lots of ways that you can jump in and help, but it's more than words, man. We're trying to do 15000 this year, above and beyond like our normal, regular giving. So those envelopes are everywhere. You can do that. On your chairs, you're going to find one of two little booklets, Okay. These are for you to take with you, all right? Certainly feel free to take them and read them or read one of them, but really it's an opportunity to start uh, spiritual conversations here at the Christmas season. It's kind of a natural time to do that. Um, and uh, there's also a little uh, card inside of these booklets that you can use to invite somebody to come Christmas Eve or throughout the Christmas season. So we wanted to make these available for you guys. If you have more than one neighbor, take more than one. If you have more than one friend, take more than one. Um, there are a few more, I think, on the back uh, desk out in the foyer that you could grab. Uh, but man, just take full advantage of these. There's no reason for these to be laying here when we're done today. Uh, take these with you and invite people to come with you, all right? Um, so we will be here uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 today as we continue our looking at uh, Rejoice. Uh, and we're going to be talking about hope like Pastor Jimmy uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, hope is this, 
recurring theme at Christmas time. Uh, that is, that's one of the big ideas that we tend to talk about a lot uh, at the Christmas season. Um, if you're doing Advent or if you've done Advent candles in the past with your family, uh, the first Advent candle uh, is the hope candle. Uh, we also find uh, the theme of hope kind of throughout a lot of the movies that we watch, a lot of the things that we kind of entertain ourselves with. Um, Shawshank Redemption, there's this great scene where they talk about it, that movie called Hope Floats. I hate to say it, but Star Wars, it's all throughout the, the movie of Star Wars. Uh, the movie, the X-Men movie, Days of Future Past, there's this great scene where they discuss hope. Hope is endemic to the human condition. We, we must have it. And so it permeates a lot of the things that we would say we sort of entertain ourselves with. We may not even know what hope is. Like if I asked you to define hope, most of us would probably struggle with it. Most of us would have a hard time defining, here's what hope is. We might say what it looks like, but defining what it is would be hard for most of us. But what we know is that we need it. Most of us also know that even though I may not know what it is, or I may not be able to define it, I know that I need hope. It's like sodium for your body. Did you know your body can't make sodium? Some of you are like, yes, I love salt. I will eat it all day, right? So you can overdo salt, but if you don't have any salt at all, you die. Did you know that? Just like sodium in your body, you need it to survive, and it can't come from within you. I think hope is very similar to that. We know that we need it. We know that our, our spirits uh, must have it. Um, but it's also something I'm not sure we can just delve down into the heart of who we are and dig it out sometimes. There's a man named Jerome Grootman, and he wrote a book called The Anatomy of Hope. And in that book, he talks about... Um, the physiological, um, physical uh, effects uh, that we see in people who have hope. And he talks about the way that what you believe and the things that you are, the good things that you are expecting to happen in the future can actually block pain because it releases endorphins in your brain. So hope is actually sort of one of nature's natural uh, inspiring drugs that we release into our own body, chemical reactions we release in our own body to help overcome difficulties uh, when things are dark, especially when they're dark right in front of us. There's another group of people, a guy named Shane Lopez. He's a professor, I think, at Harvard. He has kind of done some research in this area. And he said there are four things that are common for everyone who he considers these are high hope people. These are people that, that he would say, these are people who are kind of driven by hope. Here are the four things they have in common. I'm going to run through them, and then I want to restate them because all truth is God's truth, and I think this guy has found some truth, okay? And then I want to restate it in a little more biblical way, I think. So he says, high hope people believe this. The future will be better than the present. I have the power to make it so. There are many paths to my goals. None of them are free from obstacles. So we find with hopeful people, they're not delusional. And some of us have made that confusion in our head that to be hopeful, I can't face reality. The opposite is true. Okay, I'm going to restate those four things biblically because I think they're true. I think there's truth there. The first one is the future will be better than the present. Amen. Do you all get that? Do you understand that? I'm not saying your tomorrow is going to be better than today or your afternoon is going to be better than your morning. But guy, our, 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 our future is guaranteed to be better. So we are driven by that belief, all right? 
The future will be better than the present. Secondly, God's power guarantees that it will be so. We're going to look at this as we go through our text today. God's power guarantees that it will be so, which means I can do whatever I can do in the power of God. There's a lot of stuff I can't do to make this preferred future come into existence. But there are some things I can do, and I'm going to work hard in the power of God toward that preferred future. So in the power of God, God's power guarantees that it's going to be so. Third thing, there are many paths to God's goals. And some of you are like, no, there's only one path. I'm a sovereignist, and God has determined which way I'm supposed to walk. There's only one person I can marry. There's only one sandwich I can have for lunch. There's only one car I'm supposed to drive. And we need to just kind of relieve ourselves of that thinking. That's, that's fatalism and determinism, and that is not biblical theology, okay? Biblical theology is, I think you kind of go back into the Old Testament, we see it there. God takes Abraham up on a mountain, and he says, hey, choose. I'm going to bless whichever way you go. Remember that? I think there's a whole lot of that. That's good biblical theology, especially as we get our minds renewed in Christ, and we're thinking his thoughts and choosing his, his choices, Right? There's a lot of things like that that God can take us down. There are many paths to God's goals for me. I want to clarify my path. I don't want to walk in muddiness. I don't want to walk in just the mud and the muck of today. I want to clarify my path. I think that path can get clearer as I choose God's choices as I pray my way into what he's got for me. But there's a lot of ways to kind of get where God wants us to go. The last thing I would say, the fourth one would be, none of these things are free from obstacles. None of these things are free from obstacles. So what I would tell you, what I would encourage you, those of you, you want to be a high hope person, find a mentor. Find somebody who's walked that path before you. One of the dumbest things we tell ourselves as young people is that nobody's hurt the way that I hurt. Nobody's experienced the troubles that I'm experiencing. Nobody's had to walk the career path that I'm walking. Nobody's had the marital problems that I'm having. There's 7 billion of us, y'all. I'm pretty sure somebody else has walked that path. Find a mentor. Obstacles will be coming your way. And that's not the destruction of your dreams. That's just life. And sometimes I think God puts those obstacles and challenges in our way. Find a mentor who can help you walk through them. Amen? A godly mentor who can help you walk through those things. So I think those, things, those four things, you want to be a high hope Christian, those are awesome. I think those are fantastic things. So that's the question now. Are you a high hope Christian? then here's the big one for a lot of us in this room. If you're over about 22 years old, I would think even younger you could do this. Are you teaching and passing on and leading and following with hope? What are you giving to other people? The people that are watching you in your life, are you passing on a high hope to them? Are you leading just with optimism? Because that's not the same thing as hope. Are you passing on a high hope to the people who are following you. So we might struggle with what hope is. That might be a difficult, we still might struggle with what exactly it is, but we almost always know when it's absent. Like we might feel the absence of hope more than we recognize it when it's around. And I think our culture, as a culture, doesn't it feel like we've slipped in this place of hopelessness? I'm not that old? I feel like I'm not that old, but I think I am old enough. I don't remember it being like this. It feels like we're just in a very unique time, and it feels like as a culture, we have slipped into a place of hopelessness. And I'm going to throw out some stuff. It's not very happy, but I think it, it illustrates what I'm talking about. Guys, the, I just read this story two days ago. The life expectancy in the United States has stagnated 
for three years, and it has now this year fallen for the first time since World War I. We're almost 100 years removed from that, and the U.S. life expectancy has gone up every year till the last three years, plateaued, and now it's actually dipped. The suicide rate, now just listen, among 11 to 14-year-old girls has tripled in the last 15 years. These are children. Suicides at a 30-year high all across the board. Deaths from opioid abuse hit an all-time high last year. 47,000 people, and I heard it as high as 68,000 people in the United States died from opioid abuse last year. Most of those being prescription drugs. Deaths, uh, sorry, everyone's trying to figure out why, what's the cause. Robert Putnam, a Harvard scientist who is studying the science of hope, which is such an interesting field to go into. He said this, it proves that society has got a crisis of hopelessness. In the West, and I mean European countries, America, in the West we are not getting married and we are not having enough babies to reproduce ourselves. The birth rate in 2016 was 1.8 per couple. We're not even having enough children to reproduce ourselves. If there's no hope for the future, why would we want to have kids? And you find this to be prevalent across Western cultures where we have just dropped the bottom out of any foundation for hope. And we've slipped in this place of hopelessness. We recognize when hope is not around us. Why are we struggling so badly as a culture? Why is is it so prevalent right now that we, again, have slipped into this place of hopelessness? There's two reasons, and I'm going to hammer both of these just a little bit. First of all, culture has abandoned morality and sensibility. We sense this. Don't you? Like you look at culture and you're like, that is the craziest thing I have ever seen. (laughs) Who would have ever thought, right? I read a a story of a Danish man. He's 68 years old. And there, Europe is further down the the road than we are. We're on the same road they're on, but they're further down the road than we are. 68 years old. He wants to identify himself legally as a 47-year-old so that when he goes on Tinder, I'm not making this up. When he goes on Tinder, he can put a real profile on there that legally he's 47, even though he's 68, so he can date prettier women. He just said this in court. He was his own defense lawyer in court, and he said that. He's willing to give up his pension. His parents are dead, so he doesn't care what they think, and they don't care what he's going to do. Why can't I do it? And he said this, isn't this the same as gender self-identification? And he makes a great, valid philosophical point, doesn't he? And I'm reading this, I'm like, this is crazy, right? This is something like, you know, that you would read in the, the meaning of Monty Python sketch or something like that, you know? This is just nuts. We, we've slipped into hopelessness because, quite frankly, we're looking at the world around us right now, and we're like, there's no coming back from this. We have abandoned morality and sensibility, just plain thinking. That's very depressing for many of us. The second thing I think, The other reason why we are slipping into hopelessness as a culture, in the West in particular, is because we are wildly prosperous. And I don't use those two words loosely. Do you realize how ridiculously rich you are? Rich, and I'll use that word again, you're rich. Do you understand that? We are wildly prosperous. 
We're sending our kids to college and spending $240,000 to $300,000 for a four-year experience for our kids to get a piece of paper and hang on the wall and get a job. How long does it take them to earn that back? We are wildly prosperous. Now, what's the problem with that? We're all like, yay, God loves us. We're wildly prosperous. What's the problem? Here's the big problem with that. This is an existential problem. If all we are is matter, and I mean that like we're physical stuff, right? We're animated cosmic dust. That's all we are, okay? If that's all we are is just matter, then it makes sense that if I get a bunch of stuff, I'm going to be happy. If all I am is just physical junk of the universe that's been given some life, I can fill myself up with stuff, and I ought to be happy, and hope ought to be traveling along with that. I'm going to give you a quote by C.S. Lewis, who wrote this 70 years ago, 60 years ago. Listen to what he said. He said, most people, if they really learn how to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and they want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, or we think of some foreign country that we want to visit, or first take up some subject that excites us, or first begin a career that excites us, these are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning, no job will ever be able to satisfy. I'm not speaking right now of what would certainly ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or bad trips or so on. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There's always something that we grasp at. And in that first moment of longing, it just fades away in the reality. We move on to another spouse and we realize that first spouse was a good spouse. The scenery in that trip was excellent. It turned out to be a really great job. But it has evaded us. And it turns out that we don't have what we thought. We are left with stuff and experiences and adrenaline rushes, but no hope because the vast ocean of the human heart remains empty. Now that is outstanding and it explains why in the West we have all this stuff and access to stuff that we're still just completely empty. Consumerism and materialism have failed us miserably. So in the West, we continue to slip into this place of hopelessness. Christianity is a religion of hope. This is why I think it speaks so strongly into the world and the culture that we live in right now. Christianity is, by, by definition, a, a religion of hope. It is forward-looking. Christianity is constantly looking ahead. It's God-trusting hope. And I think we find the basis of this in Ephesians 1. We're going to look at, at some Christmas things in a moment. But I want to start in Ephesians 1. So if you have it, you can turn it there. We'll have it on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. There's this long paragraph we don't have time to get into. Paul says, In Christ we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is giving us a pledge or a guarantee of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession 
to the praise of his glory. I wish we had time to do the whole first chapter because it's amazing. But just these three or four uh, verses here, I think, tell us a lot about our hope in Christ. And he says, we were the first, and he, this is first century, so he's like, no, we're literally the first ones to put our hope in Christ. So what does it mean when we say that? That we have a hope, and it's this God-centered hope, and we're placing our hope in Christ. What does that mean? I think it means several things. First of all, at the core of it, it means this, that the, the foundation of Christian hope is Jesus Christ, who came as a real human being, and he lived, and he really died, and he really was raised from the dead, and he really was seen by over 500 people after he came back from the dead. He was handled, spoken to, ate meals with people, and this proves that there is something beyond the grave. The historical factuality that God came in the form of a man at Christmas, born in this baby, grown up, dies on the cross for us, comes back from the dead— the fact that that is historical means for us that there is something beyond the grave. There is something real and tangible and true. There is a, a transcendent reality, something beyond and above all of this. And that's what our hope is centered on, and that's what's going to satisfy our hope someday and our desire someday. Second thing, not going to kill this, but he uses it all throughout this passage of first, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. He talks about that we were predestined, and he talks about God's plan, and he talks about the gospel. And then he says, this is all until the redemption comes. Listen, our hope is not based on a wish or a dream. It's rooted in the actions of God in time and space in Jesus Christ. It is knowable and trustable and verifiable, and it's worthy of our belief and our faith that God made choices in time and space to redeem us. My hope is based on that. Third thing. We are chosen. Now, this is a personal thing, right? We are chosen, personal in terms of our personhood and the individual. What do I mean by personhood? Who you are matters. Now, this is, this is amazing, and it's very Christian. Who you are matters, and who you are somehow or another gets preserved for eternity. You don't cease to exist after death and become part of the all-great Godhead. That's Eastern mysticism, Okay? Somehow or another, some part of who you are is preserved forever, and God chose you to save you in your uniqueness, your unique representation of the image of God is valuable to him, and he's going to preserve it and perfect it in Jesus Christ. So it means personhood. It also means individual. This is out of the text. Are you ready for this? God calls you. God preserves you. God gives the gospel and faith to you. God seals you. Our, only, our hope isn't only that some grand plan is being worked out, and it is. Our hope is based on the fact that God is working and planning to save me and to save you. And we should all say amen at that. God has this amazing plan for time and history and space, and he's going to work it out according to his own plans and will. And somehow or another, he says, I want you to come along, and I want you to come along, and I want you to be a part of it. And he personally, individually, chooses us to walk with him. Amen? That is amazing. And our hope is based on that personal identity and, and choice of God. Next thing I would say, this hope that we have, this Christian hope that we have, I think that, again, uniquely separates it from a lot of other religions and philosophies. 
This Christian hope that we have speaks to our deepest needs. Now, I am a total nerd. I'm going to nerd out here, okay? J.R.R. Tolkien. You know who Tolkien was? Okay. J.R. Tolkien, great author, great linguist, great thinker, great philosopher, um, writes The Hobbit, The Cimmerillion, all the books and the movies that we're, you know, enjoying now. He gave a speech one time, and he talked about, and at Harvard University, I think, or Oxford, in the English department, he gave a speech about why fairy tales are important. Now, this would have been an insult, probably, to most of the people listening in the audience. But here's what he said, and it's fascinating. He said, because fairy tales speak to the five core needs that people have. You will step outside of time. You will escape death eventually. You will know a love that never leaves. You will communicate with non-human beings. And you will see good triumph over evil. And he said, that's why fairy tales speak to us. That's why fiction says things to us. Because good fiction, whether it's Christian or not, incorporates these five core needs of a human being. There's something about all of us that goes, I need that. And not only do I need it, I want it. Right? And he says, so good fiction speaks to that. So here's what I'm going to say about that. Christian hope isn't rooted in our existence and the idea that things here are getting better but in our futures being better. They're guaranteed to be better. Did you see verse 14? The Holy Spirit is a deposited guarantee, a promise that this stuff is going to be worked out. A promise and a guarantee of a future where everything is put right because of the work of Jesus Christ. So back to our materialistic Western thinking. You and I are thinking, well, wait a minute, what could be better than health and stuff? Right? It's Christmas time. I'm getting sold that all the time right now. Stuff and feeling good, being happy, possessions. What could be better than any of that stuff? For the secular mind, for the Western mind, for the materialistic mind, nothing is better than that. And isn't that the horrible hopelessness of it? Like Chandler says, Matt Chandler, he says, the real bummer of that is, is that everything you've got right now at Christmas, you're going to get it in three weeks, is going to be in a garage sale for a year from now. So those of us who are materialistically driven, I need stuff to be happy. It's a bummer when we figure out that that stuff doesn't make me happy. Or the absolute transient nature of it, that it doesn't even last a year. What could be better than health and stuff? You ready? We will be free from sin. And when you're in your bed at night, and it's just you and the darkness and the ceiling and God, and you start running through the day, and you're like, wow, I'm really not a great person. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Why do I struggle to do the things that are right? What is it in me that is so broken? Guys, listen, what's better than stuff and health? There will be a day when I will be free from sin in every way possible. The power of sin, this is old preacher stuff, right? The power of sin, the presence of sin, and the penalty of sin, all of it. I'll be free from it. I will finally be known, and I will finally know. I'll be fulfilled. I'll be filled up beyond imagination. I'll be with God. There really is something other than this, and it is infinitely better. Our hope is rooted 
in those things, in Christ. So here we are, and you're like, okay, awesome, love Ephesians, give me some Christmas. Matthew talks about this hope that we have back at the beginning of his story. So if you would, you can flip over to Matthew. So you're going to go to your left, not very far, the first gospel, the first story that we have about Christ. And early in Jesus' ministry, early, early on, Matthew nails down this hope that we're holding on to that's found in Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll just start in verse 14, read through verse 17. So Jesus starts his ministry, and he says this, what Jesus was doing was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. So Isaiah lived 650 years before Christ. There's a prophecy given. Matthew says this is what he was talking about. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. It's the very start of what he's going to accomplish um, throughout his ministry here. And like I said, uh, Matthew nails down why we should be so hopeful and why Christmas is so important. It's the earliest explanation that we have about why Jesus came. There's some other stuff that we're told about Jesus, but it's the first time somebody says, and here's what Jesus came to do, right? He came to show people, at the very least, Jesus came to show people that the promises of God that had been made in the Old Testament for thousands of years were coming true in Jesus Christ. That all these promises that God had made to all these people for all that time were finally coming true in Jesus Christ, that it had not been empty for them to put their hope in Christ. Jesus was God's promise, alive and in the flesh. And it's, it is literally God's declaration of everything I promised you and all the Old Testament saints and the people who were alive at the time and those of us who look back at this occasion, my promises are true and you are not wrong to put your hope in me. I always come through in what I promise. Christ is his representation of that. So I think in some ways, Jesus is saying, as the Holy Spirit uh, inspires this text, Jesus is saying, I'm the object of your hope. In the Old Testament, it was muddy and it was unclear exactly what we were hoping in. There was some symbolic language and there were some things that maybe you could decipher. But no one, no one was expecting a Messiah to come like this. And Jesus is saying, I'm the object of your hope. I'm it. In the Old Testament, for the New Testament, for now, I can bear up under the weight of your hope and expectations. Nothing else can. But I can. I can handle the weight of your hope. So when we think about Christmas time, who is the center of the Christmas story? Who's the center of it? Who's the middle of the story, right? And in some ways, when you know the story, you think, well, maybe it should be Joseph, right? He's told that his teenage wife, who he's not married to yet, has become pregnant. Generally, that happens in one way. You can talk about it at home and figure it out, okay? Generally, that happens in one way. But the angel comes to him and says, oh, no, 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 no. this is from God. Don't, don't kick her out. Don't, don't stone her. That would have been a custom of the day, a, a legal right, in, if you would say. He could have had her stoned. 
and killed. Don't do that. Keep her. So courageously and in faith, Joseph walks and he stays with her. So could be Joseph, could be Mary for the same reasons. What a terrifying, terrifying message to get from God, right? To walk through that as a teenager, to be unwed, pregnant, engaged. The shepherds, the total outcasts of society. You've got probably lepers and then shepherds. They just want anybody below them, really. The shepherds that are called out to be the center point of worship for this new little baby that night. Should they be the center? The wise men who travel all that way to get to Christ? Maybe today we would make a movie like we made a Venom movie. We'd make a Herod movie. And Herod would be the hero of the story somehow. We're in an anti-hero phase in, in our culture right now. And maybe he would be the hero. But no, it's not. It's a baby. There's a baby at the center of the Christmas story. Why? Because it's cute? Because we like singing Silent Night and lighting candles? Why is a baby the center of the Christmas story? Because the baby, Jesus, is the unexpected twist to the entire Old Testament story. You read the Old Testament, nobody's expecting a baby. No one. 450 years, Jesus, or God doesn't say anything. He's silent. No revelation. Malachi's done, and then you get nothing. And then a baby comes. That's God's next words, is having this child born. Why is the baby so important? Because it is God. It's God in the flesh. God with us. God who has come to give us hope. God is coming to pay the penalty for our sins so we can be forgiven. Christmas and Christ, they give us hope. Because they're reminders that God's entire plan, and I want you to hear this. This is almost a throwaway statement this morning. I don't have time to spend on it. Just think about it. God's entire plan from before time began was to make much of God. God's entire plan was for God to glorify himself and his exploits to save us while he showers us with grace and love. That's why Christmas is awesome. Hope isn't in us. My hope is not in me. I believed really hard. I faithed a lot. I prayed really well. My hope is rooted in God's commitment to himself and his glory. And he made sure that he would save some through faith. He made sure that some would come to know him through faith. He is committed to himself and his glory. And he will do all of the things that he has started. That's why Jesus is the center of the story. Not because it's cute and it's sweet and it's a little baby. Because it's God born in flesh. And God is the center and the hero of your salvation story and the salvation of the world. The redemption story is about him. And my hope is pinned on him. Not on me. Not on my ability to believe or to faith my way into it. Without Christ, there's no hope. That means without Christmas, there's no hope. We sing the song... Come thou long expected Jesus, which probably isn't on your playlist because it sounds like a hymn. There's old language in it. But it's amazing theology. If you listen to the words, it's incredible. Charles Wesley wrote it. He based that. You can look it up on Haggai. Some of you are like, that's not even in the Bible. Haggai 2.7. Look it up. This is what he's reading. And he's like, hmm, how do I express that in a poem, in a song? And then he writes, oh, come thou long expected Jesus, right? So he writes this song. He wanted to, here, here's what he wanted to do. He wanted to show Christ 
as being able, capable, sufficient to meet the needs, the deepest needs of everyone. Everybody has these deep needs, and he wanted to say Christ is the one who can meet those needs. So the song points us back to Israel, Old Testament. They're looking forward to Jesus. But there's this line in there that says Jesus is the hope of all the earth, and he's the joy of every longing heart. Here's what spurred him on to write that song as he's going through Haggai. Charles Wesley had made a visit to America, and he was in Georgia, and he had seen the horrors of slavery. I don't want to offend anyone, but he had seen a a white man give his child a black person as a plaything, and it shattered his heart. It broke his heart. He went back. He was physically ill from what he had seen in America. And he's like, what's the hope of this person who buys a human being to give to someone else? What is the hope of the person who receives that gift as if it's something to receive? What's the hope of a system that is so broken? Come, thou long-expected Jesus. You're the joy of every human heart. And he writes this song to show a broken world, the only hope that we have in our horrible, ugly brokenness is the person and the work of Jesus Christ changing all of us so that that is not acceptable. Christian hope and Christmas hope is rooted, the hope of all mankind that faces the ugliest parts of human history and stares it down and says there's something more fulfilling for you than that. Christian hope is rooted in The person, Jesus Christ, a real human being, coming and dying and raising again, really physically being seen, handled, and guaranteeing that my future will be better. Guaranteeing that my heart doesn't have to remain that gross, disgusting place where sin lives. He changes everything in me. My hope is changed because of that. I was reading this morning, Christian author, Henri Henri Nouan, he's a French dude in Canada. He said this, said, optimism and hope are radically different attitudes. Optimism is the expectation that things, the weather or human relationships, the economy, the political situation will get better. Hope is trust that God will fulfill God's promises to us in a way that leads us to true freedom. I'm not asking if you're a a glass half full kind of person. I'm asking you, have you pinned your hopes to Jesus Christ? It leads to a certain kind of optimism, but it's not optimism. Optimism can be unrealistic and not face the struggles and the trials of the day. Hope can, because it's pinned on something greater than circumstances and people. Isaiah 49, 23, God says this. He says, then you'll know that I am the Lord, and those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Again, we talk, we're going to get tattoos. This is the next one we're going to get. Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Can you just say that to yourself? If I hope in the Lord, I'm not going to be disappointed. Can you pin your hopes to that man? If I hope in the Lord, I will not be disappointed. He didn't say life's going to be easy. You've got to read Isaiah 49 and what's going on. He's not talking about an easy life. He's saying, where are your hopes attached to? What have you hooked up the caboose of your hope to, right? What's the engine that's driving you? Those who hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. Martin Luther King said, we have to accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. How could we be better and root our hopes 
in Christ and the Christ of Christmas. I think there's four things. I'm going to give you these. I hate doing this, but I thought this was great, so I'm going to give it to you. There are four things I think that can help you be a hopeful person. You ready? Evaluate yourself correctly. Some of us are terrible self-evaluators. We lie to ourselves a lot. Evaluate yourself correctly and find a way. You may have to involve some other people. Find a way to identify what do I really need? What's my deepest need? What am I really looking for? What am I longing for, right? What have I already attached my hopes to? Evaluate yourself correctly. Second thing, expectations. What are, your ex- what are you expecting is going to happen if you get that in your life? If I have X, I will then have Y and Z. So evaluate yourself correctly. What am I looking for? What have I pinned my hopes to, really? And what am I expecting to happen if those two things, or if that becomes true for me? Next thing, agency. How do I plan to get there? What am I doing to get from where I am now to where that is? Fifth thing, object. Who and what are you placing your hope in so that that happens? This is actually going to happen. Who or what have you placed your hope in? All hope needs an object. You don't hope in hope because that'll fail you too. You hope in something, someone. So here's what this looks like. You have a family and you want your family to love Jesus. So that's kind of what you're aiming. That's what you put in your heart. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to make sure, what do I expect to happen? I expect happiness and accolades. I expect good things. I expect praise from people because I've got a family that's obedient to Christ. I expect happiness in my family because I've got a family that's obedient to Christ. So how am I going to do it? Strict discipline. What are my hopes in? My ability to raise my children. I'll figure it out. I will get them to this place where they're obedient and they follow the Lord. And people will praise me for being a great parent. We'll be happy in our family. I can get us there. Let's change this around a little bit. Evaluate yourself correctly. What if you need to just tweak that first statement away from obedience to people that love Jesus? Do you want obedient children? Or do you want children that love the Lord? Because I think that obedience flows from the love, right? So let's just change that a little bit. Family that loves Christ. Secondly, what am I expecting will come from that? Personal fulfillment, like a fulfillment obedience can never give them, right? Because they're always going to disobey too. (laughs) So if it's all about obedience, when they disobey, it's crushing, right? So I expect fulfillment and like an eternal love with God. They're going to be in love with God forever, and they're learning what that looks like now. So I expect that. How am I going to do that? Consistently model it. I'm going to consistently model what does it look like to love Jesus? What does it look like to be in love with Christ? I know what it looks like to be in love with a spouse. I know what it looks like to be in love with my kids. Can I not take some of those same principles and apply them to God? I think you can. I'm going to consistently model a life that looks like I love Christ. Wisdom. I'm going to get help along the way. Last thing. What is my hope in? My hope is in Christ and the Holy Spirit. My hope is not in my ability to do it. My hope is not in my fantastic parenting skills. My hope is not in that I roll the parenting dice and it comes out the right way. I get, you know, double twos or whatever with my kids. I'm hoping and I'm trusting that as I instill godliness into my children and I model true godliness in my home, that they love the Lord. 
And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to build that into them and to give them that gift of faith and repentance and following him. Does that make sense, guys? Same category, same desires in some ways, completely different modes of getting there. One is full of hopelessness and me. The other is full of God and hope. And you can take that model and apply it to as many things in life as you want to do that with. Put your hope in Christ. He's guaranteed things for his followers. Do you know that? He's guaranteed it. That's in verse 14, I believe. He's guaranteed. Now just think. He has guaranteed the outcome of my life and my pain and my desires and my dreams. He's, he has guaranteed the outcome of my satisfaction. Are you dissatisfied in life right now? Is there anything you're just dissatisfied with in life right now? God has guaranteed that you'll be filled up and satisfied one day. He's guaranteed it. That guarantee, remember back at the beginning, the guaranteed end, a better future, is shaping now my choices, my beliefs, and my attitudes today. I will make different choices and live differently today because I believe that the future will be better. Why? Because I'm going to make it that way? No, because Jesus is guaranteed that it will be that way. So I can live differently today because of those guarantees. This means that the hope, that the pain that I endure when I walk away from sin has already been worked into God's plan for my life. Have you ever done that? You walked away from sin and it was painful? Sometimes we think walking away from sin is always good and lovely. and It's not. Sometimes walking away from sin is hard. God knows that. And he's already worked that pain of me walking away from my sins into his good plans for me. Hope that the disappointments that I endure... <laughs> are already stripping me of the embarrassing American values that I have. I hope that's true. I'm guaranteed that one day it will be, that my values will be turned upside down, right side up. Third thing, hope that when I live according to this book, to the Bible, no matter what it teaches, no matter where it takes me, that it's true truth, and it is leading me into the full redemption that God has promised me, which means I'm joining all these Old Testament saints. This is where you and I are like Matthew chapter 4. God has promised us something in the future that we can't comprehend and we've never seen it. But he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to accomplish it. So just like those Old Testament saints who waited for thousands of years to find out what God's promises were going to be like, and they finally see it in Jesus, you and I are going to have the same experience someday. Do you realize that? We're going to get there, and there's going to be this revelation, and we're going to go, oh, everything I was looking for, all my hopes, dreams, and desires that I didn't even understand, I see them now in Christ. Amen? It's a guaranteed future for us. So here we go. Are you drifting into hopelessness? Do you find yourself beginning to be a low-hope person and not a high-hope person? Evaluate yourself, reorient your expectations, Align your resources. Put your hope in Christ to bring those things about. That's a constant daily thing probably. Here's another thing that's big, I think, for us. Man, are we teaching hope? Are we giving hope? Are we leaving a legacy of hope? Despair may come. Dis disappointment will come knocking at the door of your heart. Disillusionment's going to cloud your mind. How are you going to pass on hope to your children? 
to your family or to your spiritual children. Give those people around you this gift of hope in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads? You're in here this morning and you're like, I don't have any hope. I hear this talk about God, but I don't know him. What's the hope for me? The hope for you is God's made a way for you to come to him through Jesus. You say, God, I need this hope in my life. I'm hopeless. I need to know you. I'm far away. Bring me near. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Everything that Pastor Joe talked about, Jesus dying on a cross, Jesus coming back from the dead, he's real. It's real. It's true. And if it's true, I need it. Give me hope. Save me from my sins. Everybody else, we can pray something like this. God, we are, Father, we're, we're just always forever thankful that you have chosen us and you have saved us personally for eternity. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your seal on our hearts that guarantees us that our hopes will be fulfilled and that your promises are true. And then Jesus, thank you for choosing to come as a baby, for dying in my place, securing my freedom from sin and my eternity with God. Thank you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit for your amazing work in giving me hope for eternity. Some of us need to pray, just recenter my hopes. I've misplaced my hopes. I've pinned them on people. I've pinned them on an economy. I've pinned them on my job. Depend them on my kids or my spouse, my health. Recenter my hope. Give me hope in Christ for today, and then let me give it to somebody else. You start to think like that. It's Christmas. Who needs the hope of Christ? Who could God already have chosen and picked out for you to give some hope to? God, I'm going to take this book. I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to try to give him some hope. Use me. Use me. Father, we rejoice. We're so thankful for Christmas because hope has come to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.